Good morning, everyone. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Yes, it is good to see you all. Everybody should be well rested, right? Everybody should feel like I'm ready to go. I guarantee you that's not true. It seems that we take that extra hour and we do take advantage of it, don't we? But it is good to be here. It is good to see you here. It's good to have people joining us online. Let's go to the word. Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, from the north and south. Some wandered in the desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Good news, folks. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord God. You are our rock. You are our salvation. When it seems we have no place to turn, we're wrong because we always have you. When it seems we've prayed and prayed and no change happens, we still have you. So, Father God, we thank you for your constant everlasting love for your constant everlasting care when we don't see it Lord God show yourself evident I pray Lord God for each and every person that's in this room today for those who are still coming for those who are home that you would meet them where they are whatever place that is in their life that you would join them close to you that you they would be near to you that you would ease their mind ease their stress may each one lift their hearts and praise to your name Bless every part of this service, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we recite our creed? I believe in the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead, The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's worship. Good morning, everyone. Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice in His amazing grace, the greatest gift ever given to mankind. Praise Him. Praise Him.
Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it flows. Fuller every day. Perfect yet it grows deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. Today, O Lord, we bow down and we worship you. We kneel before you as our maker. You are our God and we are your people. We are like sheep in your pasture. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for our hearts are prone to go astray and to disregard your ways. And if you should keep track of our sins, who could stand? And so we confess to you those things which are displeasing in your sight, and we proclaim that with you there is steadfast love and great power and willingness to forgive us and redeem us. O Lord, forgive us and draw near to us and allow us to draw near to you. We can't thank you enough for all that you have done for us. Thank you for loving us even when we're at odds with you. Thank you for sending Jesus as the single, sinless, sacrificial Lamb of God that has taken away our sins and the sins of the world. Thank you for his resurrection, which gives us hope for an eternity spent with you. And thank you for sending your spirit to comfort us and to guide us on our journey home. Today, Lord, we live in a world that has no peace or rest. Wars continue to destroy lives and property in many places around the world. In our own country, Lord, chaos reigns in government, politics, social structures, culture, education, medical care. We don't see your perfect peace. We don't feel peaceful in our hearts and minds, and we certainly don't feel at rest. But we cling to your promises, which the hymn writer tells us about. We do so want a world where your peace reigns supreme. We believe that that is your desire as well. And so help us today to stay focused on you. Help us to engage in your will. And help us to share with others our experiences with the Prince of Peace. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit and grant us your peace. For those in this congregation this morning and for those joining online, we pray for healing in mind, body, and spirit. Please give encouragement to those who are facing seemingly insurmountable problems and help us all to know that you are always with us. Help us to listen closely for your voice and for your words of assurance that all things are possible with Christ. And 
Please grant us your peace because it is not to be found anywhere else than at your throne of grace. This we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen and amen. Greet someone. Tell them you're glad that they have joined us in God's house for worship. Good morning again. It is good to see you all. And again, for those of you joining us online, we're glad that you're with us. Here's a few announcements for you. If you are new with us, if this is one of your first few weeks, we would love to get to know you a little better. You can fill out a card that's in front of you in the row. You can go over to our information center um, after service, and there is a gift for you. So we would love to meet you and get to know you. All month long over in the cafe, there is a Campbell soup can that says FDC Food Drive. Um, so you can be uh, already, we have it filling up. So thank you for those of you who have already brought canned goods. But we are collecting canned goods, especially canned vegetables, for our FDC food pantry. So um, through the week, if you're here on a Sunday or if you're here for Bible study, you're um, welcome to drop, <coughs> excuse me, drop items off there. Um, also, next week is our Operation Christmas Child um, event after church. You will hear more about that in a minute. But if you also wanted to grab a box and do one yourself, there are boxes there for you. Um, labels are in short supply. So you can print off your label online and check off what you'd like to, uh, boy or girl, and what age group. But there are boxes for you to take. Um, so please do that. And next Sunday, there is our second baptism class. So if you are planning to be baptized or hoping to be baptized on November 19th, um, you can come next week at 9 o'clock and be part of that baptism class. Um, And just make sure if you want to do that, you can let Pastor Jason know. Um, But Pastor Jerry will be waiting for you next week as well. So we are looking forward to celebrating with all of you who are going to make that step as well. And just a minute, another minute about Operation Christmas Child, because this is the one of, one of the ways that as you give, um, we can not only bless people here, but we can bless people all the way across the other ends of the earth. All of these boxes go all kinds of different places throughout the globe. Um, so thank you for your giving. You can give specifically to Operation Christmas Child to help us purchase things um, for our packing. But next week, when you come... After service, you can go right across to the fellowship hall. Um, at the fellowship hall, there will be tables full of things. 
Um, and this is all you need to do. Grab a box when you walk in and fill it with things from around the table. Once you fill it up, you put a label on it and you can go around again. Um, so we're going to try to do about 100 boxes, maybe a few more. So if you're here next week, bring some family. There will be some snacks. There will be some um, warm things to drink. Um, and it will be a good time of fellowship. So there's nothing you need to bring with you. You can just come and go through the line as many times as you can until we get those boxes um, all packed. We'll have even some Christmas music playing because Pastor Jason's in charge. <laughs> so there will be Christmas music. Um, so we hope that you will join us there and be a part of that event as well. As always, we thank you so much. For your giving, whether you give online, whether you um, give here in person, whether you give monthly or weekly, um, we are so appreciate, uh, appreciative of your tithes, and we pray that as we um, receive them, that we would use them for God's glory in a, what, in a wise way. So thank you for being part of this community, um, for giving to the things that we do here, um, and let's stand together as we continue to worship.
this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence and for your power. We thank you that we can come and we can be together. We can encourage each other, but we can also be encouraged by your presence because you are alive and active in our lives. God, with you, there is, with you, through you, in you, from you, there is hope for a dark world. God, there is hope for the darkness that we face in our own lives. Your work isn't just active. Your presence isn't just active on a global scale. But on an individual scale, you love, care, and are concerned with each one of us. God, I pray that you would move mountains in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. That you would redeem dreams that you would restore relationships, that you would make what seems impossible possible, that there would be testimonies, there would be stories of miraculous things that seemed inevitable. God, I pray that, that debts that are unpayable will be paid. I, pay, I pray for miraculous accomplishments of your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated before kids. You're usually ready to leave right now. If you'll stay with us for just a second, I just want to uh, keep you here because I want to say thank you. But before I do that, if you haven't met, my name is Jason. I am the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church, and it is an honor that you've chosen to be here with us. I want to take a second. Thank you, worship team. You guys really are ministering to us, and so thank you so much for your devotion, your hard work. But if we haven't met, my name is Jason. It's an honor that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. And um, I also want to say to all of you, uh, say hello to all of you uh, who are joining us online. It's a privilege and honor to have you with us. Encourage you to talk to each other in the chat. Church is better when we're together. Church is better when you're here. So thank you for making church better this morning. Uh, Joy and I, before I get into today's message, Joy and I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for blessing us last Sunday with Pastor Appreciation Day. The kindness that you have shown to us during this special time uh, of showing your love and support means more to you, uh, more to us than I can put into words. Uh, your cards, your notes, your letters, your gifts have been so kind and incredibly generous. Your love, your support, uh, your encouragement, and your prayers are incredible to have. As many of you know, for most of my ministry life, I never planned on being a lead pastor. This was never the dream. Uh, but I have found that leading this church is the culmination of a dream I never had. And so uh, it's an honor to be part of this family, to be able to call this place home, to know that I'm not the new guy anymore, um, and to be your pastor. Thank you for letting me be that to you. And so that, I just want to say thank you for that. There's no non-awkward way to transition from that to the rest of service. So we're going to release the kids. Kids, you guys are free to go. And while they're going, check this out.
the on-off button on my microphone is just left to right. It's very simple. It couldn't be easier to figure out. And every week I forget which way means what. And then I have to check. So I switch it, and I don't remember if I turned it on or off. Okay. <sighs> that is not a definition of suffering. A few, a few weeks ago, we began a topic that I hope has led to some, some thoughts in you. It's led to some curiosity. I hope it's caused some conversations and even some questions that one might think about. But when you think about why does God allow suffering? If we're honest, at, at one point or another in our lives, all of us have wrestled with this difficult question of why God allows suffering to happen or why did God allow something to happen? Can you get me some cough drops, Joy? Sorry. Thank you. Um, and, and often that question of why did God allow this to happen or why did allow suffer leads to bigger existential questions like why does God allow suffering or why did this, why does this always happen to me? Or, or maybe this one's the one you've asked. God, where are you? Or sometimes we might have the cognizant, uh, we might be, uh, uh, we might ask ourselves, why, am, why is God's power only evident or only known in other people? Why, sometimes we, the only time we think about God's power is when it's not evident, when it doesn't show up, when God doesn't save the day. Now, I, thank you. I know many, most of you haven't thought that way, just it's me. But um, two weeks ago, I proposed that suffering excuse me, produces traps that we can be caught in. But also, if we allow ourselves to look for them, suffering does reveal ways that God comforts us, comforts us through the difficult storms of life. That day I introduced the awareness trap in which uh, the idea that suffering opens our eyes, it focuses our minds in a resolute way, more precisely on things, and, and produces awarenesses to things that we've never seen or had before. I also talked about the fear trap that comes in when these, these new awarenesses, that's not a word, but we're going to go with it. Um, and, and these new awareness leads to fertile ground that fear uh, grows. A whole new set of fears that have the power to shape our lives the way we think about it. I also presented the idea that uh, the first of the comforts we will look into when I talked about the comforts of God's grace. And if you remember, I used Romans 8 as a backdrop. And we saw that God's grace can be uncomfortable. It, can, it finds us in uncomfortable moments. But, it can, but it's an intervening it's an unstoppable, it's a providing, and it's an inseparable grace. Those are truths. They, they're not necessarily things we always feel. There are times where our feelings and the truth are opposed to one another. And it's in those moments we must choose to be intentional to put our faith in the truth, the things we know versus the things we feel. It's not wrong to feel. 
God created us to have emotions, to have feelings. But he also gave us truth. And he calls us to build the foundations of our lives on truth, not on circumstances. On truth, not on feelings. But feelings aren't wrong. Laura mentioned earlier, we're going to have Christmas music there next Sunday. Even though Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet, I know. But it's a Christmas-themed event. We're going to have hot chocolate bar. We might, we're going to have a photo booth, a Christmas photo booth. If you want to come dress in your Christmas best and take your family picture for a Christmas card, you could do that. I'm not telling you you need to do that. I can probably guarantee that the Pettibones won't. There will be at least one Pettibone dressed in sweatpants next week. Pretty much guarantee that. But it'll be a Christmas theme because there are, there are times when just something to celebrate feels good. I don't know what's going on in, in your world. In our world, there's a tree in our house right now. Some of you think it's crazy. There's a tree with decorations on it and lights. It's fake. It's not real. We haven't cut down a real tree yet. But some of the stuff's going on in our extended family is pretty heavy. And this year, to combat the heaviness, we just needed something in our house that would be joyful. Besides the fact that my wife's name is Joy. And so, since about Labor Day, Joy's been saying to me, November 1st, the day after Halloween, as soon as Halloween passes, I'm putting up that tree. Because in our house, we could use something to be joyful about. Our feelings are real. We get them to, to pretend that we, our feelings aren't real or to not acknowledge them suppresses them. Eventually, you suppress them enough, they're going to explode. Our feelings are real, but they are not the thing we build our life upon. We build our life on the truth. And so in Romans, we talked about the truth of God's comfort, of his comforting presence, of his comforting grace two weeks ago. That's, those are fundamental truths to build our lives on. And so today I want to introduce to you two more traps that suffering tries to ensnare us with. And then two comforts that God extends to us. Excuse me. Read with me from Psalm 73, please. Surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. Let's try that again because I skipped two words. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The first trap I want to talk about this morning is the envy trap. Surely God, wow, that was like a Peter Brady, my my voice cracked. That was great. To all of you online, you're welcome. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. The psalmist here immediately sets forth what he knows to be true. God is good in principle, in theory. But then he plays the comparison game. 
best for me. God's good to everybody else. But me, I'm aware of all the things that other people have. The envy trap. Let's continue reading. Verse 4. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Their Instagram pictures are always perfect. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. Oh, how quickly! When we're aware of what we don't have, can we begin to turn our eyes on people who have things we don't? It is so easy to see how good other people have it, especially when it reminds us of how difficult our situation is. Do you ever find yourself in this psalm? You ever find yourself, especially on those days when life just isn't exactly right, and you see how good other people have it? Every one of us is an interpreter. And every day, every one of us does all sorts of sensational, moral, spiritual, and purple calculus. None of us ever thought we'd ever use calculus. We all said, I'm never going to use this. Maybe, maybe you're not doing math calculus every day. But every day you're doing equations that lead things up. We are constantly and consistently adding up the details and circumstances of our lives to see the sum totals of our beliefs, our decisions, our choices, and our actions. We're constant in every, we're trained, we're taught from the various early age to compare ourselves against others, to choose, to, to figure out if we're doing better than someone else. Teachers are wonderful people. This is not a slam on teachers. I'm just clarifying to start. But in first grade, we determine who the shining stars are. You're learned in first, you learn in kindergarten, first grade, preschool to compare your, to better yourselves against others. To, to compete. To win. Oh, I love to win. The, I think the only thing I like more than winning is when my opponent loses. The Yankees lost. I've got to be honest now, the Red Sox have won multiple World Series. When the Yankees lose, it's, I think it's better than when the Red Sox win. We've taught, we've taught ourselves to be competitive against each other. But we've allowed, and that's not bad, but we've allowed that, those instincts, those principles, those, those ideals to invade every area of our lives. And so we make determinations based on performance. We make determinations based on comparison. 
Uh, We all long for our spiritual investments and our personal decisions to be worth something. And so we ask existential questions like, is it all worth it? Because these questions are in all of our hearts, in all of our minds, it's natural to look around and do those equations for other people as well. And that's where we get into the comparison game. And we inevitably begin to see that the trials of others are easier than the trials of us. The blessings of others are greater than the blessings we receive. And so the natural response of all of our conclusions, by the way, which is completely mistaken, is to want what others have and be aware of what we don't have. And the wanting of what someone else Uh, The wanting of the life of someone else is never good for our heart. It doesn't motivate us to continue to seek and do what's right. Envy will cause us to question our choices. It'll cause us to question even our allegiance to God. As we continue in Psalm 73, verse 13 says, (coughs) Excuse me. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in his innocence. All of the decisions, all, all of the choices that I've made to be right have led me to this suffering. There are moments in suffering when we're tempted to think that it's all one big moral ripoff. We look around and it seems that the good guys are being hammered and the bad guys are being blessed. It seems that justice and morality have been turned upside down. The flaw in this thinking is that that it looks at faith and obedience as payments. It's a cause and effect equation and it's bad spiritual math. But if we're not careful, this naturally occurs in us. Envy is a worrisome burden to carry. It embitters our hearts. Envy, this is going to sound like Yoda for those of you who, who, who are Star Wars people, but envy leads to anger, and anger leads to bitterness. And bitterness turns suffering into a personal worldview. Job 10.1 Job says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and I'll speak out of the bitterness of my soul. Because when we get to the place where bitterness is our worldview, it's what we want to talk about. And it becomes our chief focus. Bitterness so obstructs our view of blessing that we can't see it anymore. When envy becomes the soil in which bitter grows, suffering, suffering will become less of you, will become a lens through which you view everything. And it not only shapes your personal worldview, it soon becomes the attitude of your heart. A person without hope is not able to greet, uh, is not able, is not about to greet personal, uh, painful things with the courage of faith. Let me say that again. A person without hope is not about to greet painful things with the courage of faith. 
When you allow bitterness to be the root or the, the foundation to which you view everything, your faith is not going to be very powerful. Envy underestimates the goodness of God. When hope in yourself or others or circumstances have found you, have failed you, you need a rock on which to stand and the help of a hand with which to reach. There is no rock so firm as Jesus. And there is no hand so strong and caring as the hand of our Father in heaven. Speaking of our Father, the other thing that envy does is envy forgets eternity. It causes us to forget the promise of spending eternity with Jesus. Because we're so focused on what we don't have, on what we've lost, on what's been taken from us. And we forget to be intentional about remembering what's been given to us. Envy never tells us the truth and causes us to doubt what we know is right, which leads us to the next trap, the doubt trap. Suffering causes us to ask questions about God. Think about, personalize this, Try to figure out the last time you may have asked one of these questions. How could a loving God let this happen to anyone? Where are all of God's promises? Why didn't God answer my prayers? Why are other people being blessed while I get cursed? Why is God punishing me? Why has God turned his back on me? Why didn't God do something to help me? Why? Doubt brings us to ask questions about why. And these are natural questions. And it's not wrong to ask them. But we must be careful that we do not let these questions cause us to doubt God's love for us and his plan for this world. Doubt is not in and of itself a bad thing. God has given us the ability to wonder and the desire to know and to understand. He has wired us into this quest to have our questions answered, our confusion cleared up. He's created us with almost an intolerance of irrationality and contradiction. And doubt causes us to ask profoundly important questions. Many of the discoveries that we've made in our world have come from doubt because people just wanted to understand. And they didn't accept the, just the standard answers that they had been given. Doubt can lead us to think deeply about very important things. It can expose and reject falsehoods. It can ignite a life that is reasoned, wise, and protective. It has the power to lead us to the one who knows and understands everything. Doubt can be good. Doubt can drive us to God but not always. 
this God-given capacity, when it functions incorrectly, can be disastrous. See, there are two types of doubt. There's the doubt of wonderment. For some of us, I know not all of you, but for some of us, God's ways are confusing. His plans are not our plans, and it can cause us to sit in awe. God's God's ways are awe-inspiring. Sometimes they astound us, and we don't really understand why he did it the way he did it. But doubt brings us to question and wonderhood, wonderment. This doubt can lead us to see God in ways, uh, in different ways he has revealed himself. But the second type of doubt is the doubt of judgment. This is where we determine the failure of God and puts us in a position that we know best. We must fight this doubt. This has been around a long time. In the garden, what's the serpent's question to Eve? Did God really say? When we start to doubt God's truth, we put ourselves in precarious positions. So doubt, which can be a good thing, can become a bad thing. And so we have to fight it. And how do we do that? We have to fight the devil, devil's lies, firstly. This is, this is principally done and best done through Scripture. Allowing God's Word to be part of our life. When Jesus is in the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan, how does he combat the temptation? He combats it through Scripture. If we're not allowing the Bible to be part of our routine, we're not... Preparing ourselves to deal with the temptations that will come our way. So we must fight the devil's lies. Second, we have to identify and count our blessings. This is an intentional thing. And it can seem mundane, it can seem pointless. But in a world that's constantly telling us, reminding us of what we don't have, telling us to be combative, telling, uh, pointing us in directions of despair, we combat that. We fight against that by reminding ourselves of God's blessing. In those dark, in those dark moments, it can be tough to see them. It can be really tough for you to remind yourself to do this. And there can be practical ways that can help you. Like a post-it on your bathroom mirror where you brush your teeth every day. By the way, brush your teeth every day. And as you brush your teeth, think about the ways you're blessed. Or as you sit down to eat, think about the blessing of the food that you're eating. It seems silly, but the more we put our minds on the things that we are receiving as a blessing, the more we're combating the, the erroneous idea that we're unimportant to God. 
and that God doesn't provide for us. And that, that one leads to God doesn't love us. That one leads to God isn't love. And that one leads to God's not real. We have to daily confess our struggle to believe. So, if fighting the devil's lies is best done through scripture, counting our blessings is best done through praise, daily confessing our struggle is best done through prayer. God, I need your help. God's not afraid for you to admit to him you're doubting something. He's not surprised. He knows you. And so God looks and says, rely on me. I'm here. Let me be with you. We scripture, praise, prayer. We also fight this doubt by encouraging others. We need to find community. And when you're going through the worst of it, you will not want to. You'll want to be alone, and you'll want to do nothing. But we must be intentional to put ourselves around us, around us, to do stuff, to get busy, and to be around people when we don't want to be around people. And that will be messy when you're going through it. Because sometimes you could be around people who know you're going through a difficult time and they'll try to encourage you with something and they'll say something that enrages you. How could you say that to me? You ever been there? I don't want to be around. Somebody's going to ask me about this and I don't want to talk about it. And don't they know I don't want to talk about it? Well, they're asking you about it because they care. And they don't know you don't want to talk about it. And they just want to be there. And so there has to be a little bit of grace involved in when you're going through it, allowing people to say stuff that's well-intentioned. And there has to be a little bit of grace for those of us who've been through it before to be aware of our words. Because sometimes the best thing we could do for someone who's struggling is to be quiet. But be there. But we have to force ourselves to be around each other. More on encouraging others in just a minute because it's one of the ways that God provides comfort. But this morning, I I propose that God provides comfort to us through relationships. Uh, A relationship with him and a relationship with others. But the first comfort I want to talk about is the comfort of God's presence. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is David, and he's celebrating the only place he can find hope, in the presence of the Lord. To be David's light, to be his salvation, to be his stronghold, that means the only way that could be is that the Lord is near. David acknowledges that the Lord is near. And he does, And Psalm 27.1 defines David's identity more clearly and accurately than any circumstance or relationship ever could. Our identity is not found in what we're going through or who we know. Our identity is found in Jesus. Jesus. 
Our hope is not found in understanding why God allowed suffering into our lives. Our hope is not found in the belief that God will somehow tough our way through. Our hope is not found in doctors or lawyers or pastors or family or friends. It's not found in resilience. It's not found in ingenuity. It's not found in ideas. It's not found in things. Our hope is found and rests in the faithful and gracious presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The promise found in Joshua 1.5 is repeated numerous times in Scripture. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always. It's in an indescribable act of unmerited grace. God has made us the place where he lives. And in the faithfulness of that grace, God will never walk away from you. The Lord is with you. And there is no struggle without or war within that will ever drive him away from you. His presence is a comfort. And because, incredibly, God has chosen to dwell and live in us, he has made us a place of comfort to each other. The comfort of God's people is given through God. Somehow, you are not only a person, but you are a place of comfort. Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 12, and Colossians 3 are all places that Paul writes and tells us that God never required any of his children to make it on their own. They remind us that we shouldn't be ashamed of our frailty. They assure us that God isn't disgusted with our lack of independent strength. How many of you have started a sentence like this? I know I should, but none of that is from Jesus. That self-loathing. That self-judgment is one of the reasons we need each other. Rather, these passages preach the gospel of God's sympathetic understanding, his faithful care, and his provision of the help we need in the presence and the help of his people. There's a comfort in the people of God. Now, as I talked earlier, it won't always be perfect. Sometimes in our best efforts, we're going to let each other down. If you've come to Faith Discovery Church because you think this is the church in the world where everything's perfect, I'm so glad you're here, but I'm bursting that bubble. We are a church of people. And anytime you've got a church of people, you've got a church of imperfection. We're not going to get it right every time. 
but we're going to love each other and we're going to walk through it. And we don't get it right, we'll apologize. It won't be perfect. Nothing this side of eternity is perfect. But the messy resources of help from God's people are a glorious comfort and provision to God's suffering children. We get, not only need, but we get to be a comfort to each other. You are a gift to me. The person sitting next to you is a gift to you, and you get to be a gift to them. There's this idea of, I'm going to try to say this word, forgive me if I get it wrong, reciprocity. I knew I was going to get it wrong. But in order for this to work, it's a couple things we need to remember. First, we must remember to avoid isolation. Don't suffer in heroic isolation. The idea that I can do it. I got this. I'm going to I'm all right. I don't need anybody's help. I'll be okay. We love to show our strength. We love to show our strength to ourselves. Oftentimes, those ideas are us proving to ourselves that we can make it. You don't have to do that. When you avoid isolation, it might be messy, but it's a way to path. It's a path to health. The path of isolation doesn't lead anybody to health. Avoid isolation. Two, determine to be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with other people about what you're going through. That you can't do it on your own. That it's hard. That you really need them to pray for you right now. Prayer is powerful. It's not just something we do just to do. It really changes things. Third, catch your thoughts. Let people interrupt your private conversations. In our heads, We have tons of voices, and a lot of times they're going at it with each other. And we don't let anybody know that, because that's crazy. Well, let me just burst that bubble too. Everybody's doing it. Should I, shouldn't I? Will I, would, did I, didn't I? There's a million voices in our head. The way we remove that is by exposing that to others. Can I talk to you? I'm completely unsure of things. And I need to process this thing out. And sometimes you'll find your answer just by voicing it to someone. And sometimes the person you're voicing it to might have an answer for you. Sometimes they won't. But just exposing that and allowing other people in to the conversations that are going on in here that are driving you crazy and you can't figure out the answer. Let people in. 
Next one, admit your weakness. Don't be pretend that you got it all under control. It's the Instagram problem. We see pictures on social media. This is not an anti-social media stand. And we think that's normal life. But somehow when we post them, we're doing all kinds of editing and we got all kinds of filters. But we don't ever think of the editing and the filters that happened on the other side of that picture. And we can't admit our weakness because nobody else is weak. Okay, let's walk down that road. If nobody's willing to to admit that they're weak, and so you can't do it, let's change the channel. Be the first. Set the trend. Let the world know what comes from admitting your weakness. If you don't know anybody who's willing to do it, be the first one in your circle who's willing to do it. And people will see the freedom that comes from it. The comfort that says, I I don't have all the answers. I don't know. Next, in order for us to, to find the comfort of wise people is to seek wise counsel. If you're facing something, if you're going through something, talk to somebody you think is wise. We have elders in our church. They're wise people. There's people, talk to me. I'll direct you to somebody wise. Now talk to me. Seek wise counsel. Don't bear the weight of all those things on your own. But when you do that, you do not have to listen to what they say, but you have to be open to the heart in which they speak, from which they speak. Because if you come with wise counsel ready to defend your position, you're not seeking wise counsel. You're trying to defend your position. To receive the comfort of God's people, you have to be open to receive the comfort of God's people. Last, this one stretched me this week. Remember that your suffering doesn't belong to you. First, Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 says, Praise be to the God of our Father, of our Lord, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we then can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we also, uh, so also the comfort abounds, so, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. For our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. The point of this message, of this passage, is that our sufferings belong to Jesus. of the cross is not only to bear our sins, it's to bear our suffering. He took the weight of all of it. 
He takes the hard and difficult things in our lives and he uses them to produce good things in the lives of others. Now, it's not that he made this happen to you so he could do something good to somebody else, but he uses the struggles that we have to bless, to encourage, to comfort someone else. This is one of the unexpected miracles of grace. When it seems that our life is anything but good, God picks it up and produces good. Every sufferer needs to know that this comfort of community is a two-way street. Not only do you need the comfort of God's people, but your sufferings position you to be uniquely sympathetic and an insightful tool in the lives of others. God calls us not to be a hoarder of our sufferings, but to offer them up to be used as needed in the lives of others. And there is a blessing in taking your eyes off of what you're going through and placing it on others because it really is more blessed to give than to receive. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, I thank you that we're not alone in our suffering. I wish we lived in a world that didn't have it, but we don't. And so I'm thankful in this world of suffering, in these times of suffering, that we have you with us and we have each other. God, help us to be intentional about pushing, fighting, urging ourselves to be here with each other. Amen. I'm going to invite our our elders to come forward and they're going to serve us communion. If you're new with us, this is, we share communion at the end of our services and we do that uh, together and we invite you to stand and come to the center aisle of whichever side you're closer to and come forward and receive the elements and then take them back to your seat and you can go ahead and do that. And if you're new with us and you're not sure you want to participate, that's fine. And if you're unable to get forward, we'll find someone to get you the elements. But we're here to do this together.
And he told them this bread was his body, which had been broken for them. Would you pray with me? Jesus, even as you prepared to go to the cross, your mind was on us. said you would go to prepare a place for us. Your mind is always on us. And so God, we honor you for that. We thank you for that. And we ask for your help that our mind would be on what you have us to be focusing on. Would you take the bread with me this morning? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we gladly proclaim your death and your resurrection this morning. And we thank you for your presence. And we thank you for molding us in such a way that we could encourage each other with our presence too. Be honored by what we say and do. Amen. Would you take the cup? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And may you be cognizant. May you know, may you recognize God's presence with you. And may you be encouraged by those around you. And may you be an encouragement to those as well. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.